This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I was, we were talking last week about how I feel, I've felt this urgency uh, for several months now to begin to foster a deeper culture of worship within our church family. And, and guys, to me, this is, this is so important. And, and so we, we started this series that we're calling A Life of Worship. Everybody say, A Life of Worship. Guys, I, I truly believe that... Um, Michael, our elder Michael Guyton at Rolling Hills says, we got a crew here at Rolling Hills this morning. We love you guys. Y'all give them a hand. All watching on with us. We love every week having our Rolling Hills family with us on there. Guys, I believe that many, if not most Christ followers today, don't really understand what worship is all about. I believe that most Christians, especially in America today, think that worship is a, is a 15 or a 30 or 45 minute period during service when we sing some songs together. And as I said last week, it could be argued that that is an expression of worship. It is an expression of worship. But as, also, as I said last week, that should be like the smallest facet of your worship toward God each week, is the gathering together the body of Christ and lifting up his name in song. Because worship encompasses so much more than a 30-minute period during service on Sunday morning when you sing a song. Amen. We talked, last week, um, we talked last week about the wise men coming to see Jesus. And in this, I, I told you, I love the fact that the wise men did not come to Jesus to get anything. It, it says, what did they come to do? To worship. It says they came to give what they had. They came to worship him. But like I said last week, I think many Christians, people who profess to be Christians today, believe that God exists for us. I, I told you, it's like, it's like, like he's, he's our genie in the bottle, our, our genie in the Bible. If, if we rub it, he's going to poof, pop out and be like, your wish is my command, right? And he's got to do whatever we ask him to do. How many of you know, God does not exist for us. In reality, we exist for him, right? And so we look at that, we know that we were created to be loved by God. Hey, our community group had a good discussion about that Wednesday night, did we not? Where's my community group? Yeah, we had a good discussion about that. We were created to be loved by God. But how do you know that we were also, we were created to glorify him and to worship him and to lift up his name and bring honor to him with our, with our lives. And honestly, guys, I believe that God is calling us as Church of the Harvest to the next level in our expression, our heart of worship toward him. I believe it's time to step up. I believe that one of the greatest areas that we can improve is learning to be worshipers, just not on the weekends. Seven days a week. And I told you, too, I believe that if we got this right, that everything else would fall in line. If we learned to be worshipers with our life seven days a week. Worshiping isn't something that you do. A worshiper is who you are. You're a worshiper of God. We're created to worship him with our lives from the depths of our hearts. And last week, that was my, kind of my point for last week, was that worshipers live a life of uplifted hands. How many of you were here for that last week? Worshipers, lift up your hand. Yeah, good job. <laughs> lifted hands, uplifted hands. Worshipers live a life of uplifted hands. I gave you four reasons why 
we lift up our hands to the Lord. The first thing I told you was, it's pleasing to God. And, and, and we talked about how the Bible says, draw near to God and he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. And I, I, I gave you that picture. It's like, like when you've got a kid who's now a toddler and you get home from work and you walk in the door and they're sitting there and they see you and the smile comes across their face and they lift their hands. What do you do? You run to them and you pick them up and throw them into your arms, right? And you give them a big hug. That's what a father does. There's children, right? Isn't that right, Alex? That's right. <laughs> so it's pleasing to God. Number two, I told you that uplifted hands is an offering of praise. David asked God, he told the Lord, he said, receive my uplifted hands as an offering, as a sacrifice of praise. The third thing I told you was our uplifted hands are a battle cry to him. And, and we went into the story where, where, where Moses, is, is, is his uplifted hands, he, he lifts them up as they're, um, as they're fighting the Amalekites, right? And even as his arms got heavy, he had people who gathered around him and helped him to keep his arms lifted high, acknowledging God as their source, as their strength in battle. And then the last thing, and I would argue, it's what I mentioned a minute ago, almost really most importantly in this, it represents our surrender and our victory in Christ. So I kind of ended with telling you that, and like I was telling our community group, it's not as much about the physical act of lifting up our hands. When I, when I said living a life of uplifted hands, it's living a life, it's a position of the heart from a posture of surrender and a posture of victory in him. Though the Bible does say lift holy hands to the Lord over and over again, does it not? And so I want to lift up my hands to the Lord. But it's a posture of our heart. So that was week one. Last week, that's what we talked about. A worshiper lives a life of uplifted hands. Moving on. Y'all ready? It's going to be a good one. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 2 again. So if you'd like to uh, turn there, if you have your Bible. If, um, if you're using a mobile device, know that we do have the notes loaded as usual on the YouVersion Bible app. So uh, you can scan the chair in front of you again if you want to. Or you can just open the YouVersion Bible app. I think you hit the menu that says more and then events. And it'll, the notes should pop up on your mobile device there. But I want to go back to Matthew chapter 2. And I want to go back to the wise men for a moment. And, and why are we starting there? Because in Matthew chapter 2, this is really like the first place that I see worship mentioned in the New Testament. And so, to me, that's important. This is the first time we see worship. So, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, this is where we started last week. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. What did they come to do? They came to worship him. Now, and breaking this down for just a second, you look at it, okay, it mentions Herod, right? We know Herod plays in this story very quickly. How you know that Herod was an evil king? And he hears about these guys coming in from a foreign land, arriving in Jerusalem there, and they're asking, where's the new king of the Jews? Our brother inside's going, I'm the king of the Jews? We're talking about new king of the Jews, right? And so he suddenly feels threatened. He feels like, his reign is threatened, right? So he kind of lies to the, to the wise men. And he tells them, uh, hey, yeah, cool. When you find him, um, I want to come worship him too. Will you come back and tell me where he's at? That would be really cool of you, right? Something like that. So if you go down to verse 9, it says, After hearing the king, the magi, the wise men, went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east 
went on before them until it came and it stood over the place where the child was. They saw the star and they followed it. Now, I was looking at this. I think we, guys, we, we've seen this scripture hundreds of times in our lives. Usually it's at Christmas, right? We're reading about the wise men coming to, to Jesus. And when we look at it, I, I think when, when I just make a statement that they saw the star and they followed it, I, I think that we need a little context. We need to understand exactly what happened here, the magnitude of what the wise men had just done. Do you know the distance? They, they were actually from, from what was then called Persia. Persia, anybody know where that is today? That is, that's Iran today. So they traveled from there to where Jesus was. That is a distance of about, uh, we, we don't know what route they took or anything like that, but we know that it's a distance of about 900 miles. That's a long ways. Now, it doesn't seem like quite as much to us today, uh, but when you think about it, I actually looked it up. I got a map and I had a circle on it and I was looking. That's about the distance it is from Memphis to New York City as the crow flies. Guys, they didn't fly Southwest Airlines, right? This was a long, hard, painful journey that they made to see Jesus. They came to find, to worship the one who they believed would be the savior of the world. In Matthew 2, in, in, verse, in verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were what? They were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. Now, um, I don't know, those of you who are watching on the live stream, we're having connectivity issues and it seems like we're having some, uh, some live stream issues. So if you can hear, bear with us, we'll upload it later if, um, if it cuts out for some reason. When I saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, if you look at the words, they were overjoyed, the, um, the Greek translated, it's great, translated from the Greek, the words they were overjoyed are translated from the Greek, and it's actually four Greek words, and most agree that it's actually a hard translation. Any of you who've ever studied foreign language of any kind know that there's some things that are hard to translate into other languages. And this is one of those, this is one of those places where they, they say it's kind of hard to, to translate. Another version, says, another version says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Any way you look at it, they were joyful. I mean, this goes to, the, the, the word exceedingly is used in almost everyone. Exceedingly, what do you think of when you think exceedingly? Exceedingly great. I mean, when something's great, that's awesome. But when it's exceedingly great, that's a whole other story. I mean, it's like they were happy that they were happy that they were happy to find the Christ child. We're happy. We found him. Exceedingly great joy. And when I think about exceedingly great joy, I was thinking this morning, is there anything in this life today that brings you exceedingly great joy? Or anything in this life that can bring you exceedingly great joy? I found that we've kind of begun become a culture that's not easily excited. It's kind of like we've got everything that we need and we're always wanting more and we're never thankful enough and something happens and it's, it's just like another thing. I, mean, I had a friend who went over his first time on a missions trip and he was giving out candy to the kids and he said it was amazing. He said it's like they were my friend forever because I gave them a little peppermint. He said, I know if I walked into my neighborhood and I tried to give out candy to the kids today, they'd be trying to steal the whole bag, right? Like... Why don't I just get one? He got two. It's the culture that we live in today. 
What brings us exceedingly great joy today? Why did the wise men rejoice with exceedingly great joy? I think it's impossible for us to understand and describe how full of life they were because for centuries they had hoped that there might one day come the one who would save them from their sins. And they believed that they found him. And so from the depths of their soul, they're overjoyed, they're elated, they're ecstatic. They're full of exceedingly great joy because they found the one. And you know, there's a problem in the church of Jesus today. And that problem is not that we are too full of joy. I don't think the church of Jesus would be described as too joyful. I think if anything, we'd be described as underjoyed today. Where's the joy? We have more to rejoice about than the wise men did. Where's the joy? We should be the most overjoyed people in the whole world, full of exceedingly great joy. But so many people that claim to follow Christ are underjoyed. And to me, really, it makes no sense because, you know, we think about the fact that a God who loved us did something for us that we could have never done on our own and we certainly never deserved. And the fact that we would ever be sitting around with that knowledge with a sourpuss Christian look on our face. Everybody make a sourpuss look. I mean, the people would even, it's generally in our everyday life, but the people would even walk into church. And come into a time of corporate worship and, and, be, and be mad and upset about stuff and all critical and nitpicking everything. And I don't like this new song very much. Why them people got to stand up front? I hate this communion bread. I mean, really, right? I remember one time when I was a kid, I, I was trying to remember when it was. I, I, I was, the best I can figure, I was like eight years old. And I remember being in Florida, and, run, and we were in a grocery store, and I ran up ahead to an aisle, and I was running to look for something down an aisle, and I ran up ahead. I had this vivid memory of this, coming around a corner, and I'm just running, 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 and I almost smacked right into this lady as I come around a corner. And I stopped. And I can remember, before I was even looking at her, I said, sorry, sorry. And just right before I just nailed her. And I look up at her, and she's looking down at me, and she goes, God, I hate kids. <laughs> I was like, I hope she wasn't a Christian because I didn't see Jesus in her. <laughs> right? It, lasts, it, it left me with a bad impression of her. What kind of witness is an underjoyed, sourpuss Christian? I want what they have. Give me some of that, right? Sourpuss. <laughs> Guys, followers of Jesus should be so overjoyed and full of life. If you're overjoyed, if you're in this place and you're overjoyed, some of you need to tell your face <laughs> and smile. Show it. Let other people know. Being a follower of Jesus, we should be more full of joy than anybody else in the entire world. No matter how bad things get, because we have an eternal promise. We've got a God who loves us. A God who's working 
to bring all things together for the good of those who loved him, love him and are called according to his purpose. A God who is all-knowing and all-powerful. A God with all that that has plans to bless and prosper you. Seems like it should bring a smile to our face. Grr. Don't ever live underjoyed. Smile. When we come in for worship, clap. Worship, lift up your hands, be full of joy. How about be fun to be around? How about as the church we begin to become known for what we're for instead of just what we're against all the time? <laughs> Say it again. Okay. How about we become known for what we're for instead of what we're against? We should be so full of love and so full of grace. When people look at us, they should say, that's one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. Why? Because we're overjoyed to have a Savior. The wise men traveled about 900 miles, and they couldn't wait to worship Jesus. So what did they do? In verse 11, next verse, verse 11. After coming into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary's mother, and they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How do we worship? Well, we talked last week about how we worship with uplifted hands. Here we see, actually, the, bow, the wise men bow down, right? I think we're going to talk about that next week or the week after. And then what did they do? It says they opened their treasures, their presents. They opened them and presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus, to his family. They were so overjoyed to just bow down and bring gifts to the one who would save them from their sins. And they were overjoyed to give. They weren't underjoyed. They weren't upset at the prospect of giving to him. They were overjoyed. How many of you have ever, especially if you're a parent, how many of you have ever gotten, or whatever, you've gotten a gift for somebody? And looking back now, you think maybe you were more excited about that gift than they were. You maybe, you maybe saved up for it, and you knew this was going to be a big deal. It was going to be special. This was going to be really cool. And so you're waiting for their birthday or Christmas or whatever to come up, and you just cannot contain yourself. And how many of you can admit that you had to give the gift early before the day came? You just had to do it because you could not contain yourself any longer. I remember that about mom growing up. She was always trying to get dad to let us open gifts early. Always, dad's like, no, not until Christmas Eve. But Bob, maybe they can open just one. Isn't that the way it worked? Something like that. How many of you have been more excited sometimes about giving? The wise men come and they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which to me is actually a little funny because, you know, we, we see all, during Christmas, we see all the, whatever, the, the figurines and the movies and specials, and we see Jesus as a little infant. They actually believe he was like around two when the wise men came. So he's a toddler. He was in the terrific twos, right? And they come to him. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, what you remember, but when your two-year-old opened toys, I don't think they want to be open gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And be like, that's like getting a pair of underwear. You'd be like, <laughs> right? 
The wise men bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which was very valuable. Very valuable. And it actually has been debated for centuries why these particular gifts were given um, and, and what they um, what they meant or what they symbolized, many believe that the general thinking is that the gold represented his kingship. The, the, the fact that the king of kings and the Lord of lords had come. Uh, then you had the frankincense, and, and many believe that this represented his priestly role. The one that really gets me is myrrh, which is kind of interesting because you look at it, you know what myrrh was mainly used for? Like embalmment and in, in preparing bodies for burial. That sounds morbid. Give that to a two-year-old. Bottle of embalming fluid, you know. But guys, this is foreshadowing the fact. Not only had the Savior come, but he was born to die. It was his purpose in coming, right? And so they worshipped him, and they were overjoyed to bring their gifts to him as an act of worship. To bow down before him with a tremendous heart. They presented the very best of what they had and they gave it to Jesus. Anybody see where I'm going yet with this message? Guys, I'm going to encourage you as a worshiper to bring your gifts to the king. Bring your gifts to God as an act of worship. We talked about living life from a posture of uplifted hands. Worshiper live, worshipers live a life of uplifted hands. We're going to talk in the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about worshipers uh, live from a place of a heart poured out. We're going to talk about worshipers live a life that is bowed down. Today, I want to talk about worshipers live a life of generosity. Worshipers are generous. And that starts with giving to our Savior. Now, <laughs> I noticed some of y'all are going, oh no, did we show up on giving week? Oh no, oh no. Church talks about this every year. I thought this was in like November. What's up? Why'd well, it have to be on giving week? Guys, I get it. That's what I say. I do too. Guys, you know what I recognize is that generally folks who hate giving messages, hate giving messages because they're not givers. And there's no condemnation in saying that. There's no condemnation at all. As a matter of fact, there's many people in this place that have been in that same position at different points along the way. And, and over time, God changed their hearts and they were obedient. I agree with Miss Angie. I love giving messages. And I listen, to, I listen to giving messages and I read giving books on giving and on generosity. Well, of course you do. You're the pastor, and all the pastor wants is our money. You've been watching too much TV. You know all the stats today show that 80% of pastors in the United States have a full-time job outside of the church? Guys, there are almost nobody getting rich off this gig. Okay? I got another job. I got a business. Okay? And, and look, when it boils down to it, I don't care a lick about getting your money. Not a, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm sorry to break this to you, and I don't want to break anybody's little hearts, but uh, you are not Church of the Harvest source, God is. I am not afraid of losing a giver, okay? But, let me throw a butt in there, but, sorry I did that. <laughs> Apologies. If you're a follower of Christ, 
And if you're part of the Harvest family, it is important to me that you learn to be a giver. And that you learn to be a generous worshiper from God. And some of you, because of your preconceived notions, mistakenly think that I'm just talking about money right now. And I'm not. I'm talking about a life. I love being around generous people because generous people love giving. And right now, I can tell you just from the last minute who the generous people they are in here because they've been nodding their heads and smiling and saying, Amen. <laughs> Other folks sitting here going, Jesus, rapture me now. I don't want to deal with this stuff. I don't want to deal with this stuff today. But guys, my prayer is in the next few minutes, my prayer is that in the next few minutes that the Holy Spirit will start doing a work in you. And if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't feel, if you're not a generous person, that you'll begin to become a generous person. That you'll love giving. That you'll begin to look forward to it and think about it and plan it strategically. Plan to give and be overjoyed to give to the one who gave everything for you. Why should it be this way? Because love loves to give. Love gives. When you love somebody, you give. Again, small part of that is financial. There's a whole lot more to it, right? Probably the best known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave. Stop. <laughs> that he gave. There's a cause and effect here. What caused the effect? What, 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 what was the cause? Love. That God so loved. The effect is that he, that, he, that he gave. What did he give? Gold? Frankincense? Myrrh? No. He gave his only son. His one and only son. That's how much he loved us. Why? Because God loves. God looked down at us as humanity and he recognized that we were separated from him by sin. And the only way that could be made right is if, is if someone innocent would come and die in our place. A human being. And it was impossible. So what did he do? The Bible says he put on flesh. And he came in the person of Jesus. And he laid down his very own life. Willingly. And he died. And he rose again. So now anybody who puts their faith and trust in him is saved, right? Love gives. It's what God does. It's what Jesus demonstrated. We love God because God loved first. When you love, you can see it in people because they give. You can tell what somebody loves by what they give financially toward, by what they give their time and their effort toward. You can tell what they love and what they treasure in their heart. They're givers. You prove your love partially through your generosity. Romans 5, 8, y'all know this, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. If you look at the Passion Translation, it says, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. That's some deep love right there. He sent Jesus to die because that's what love does. Love gives. Your giving, what you invest in, proves what you love. Think about it in your own life. Outside of the necessity, when I ask that, think about where your money goes. Somebody always goes, Walmart. I'm like, okay, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Groceries, gas. No, that's not what I'm talking about. 
outside of the necessities of life, where does your money go? Take money out of it for a minute. Outside of the necessities of life, what do you put your time into and your effort and your energy into? It proves what's really important in your life. Love gives. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, he, Christ, died for us. Now, as I talk about that, talk about all this, some of you are saying, well, you know, I, I know I love God, but it's just, it's so hard to give, and, and I feel, you know, all this pressure and all this, and I'm afraid, I'm hesitant, I'm reluctant, uh, you know, I want to give financially, but, but, but you know, it, it's just, there's all this financial pressure. Actually, if we look, I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 3 here for just a second. And you're familiar with verse 5, but many times we don't read beyond verse 5 here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. And this is, and, and who's speaking here in Proverbs? It's generally, and this is, this is Solomon, okay? Solomon's speaking, and we know that he's been declared the wisest man who ever lived, right? And here's what he says. Y'all know this part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust him and lean not on your own, own understanding. Don't try to figure thing, everything out with your own head. Trust in who your God is. In verse 6, in all your ways and everything you do. So we talked about a few weeks ago about Jesus being at the center. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And if you do, you can trust he's going to make your path straight before you. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be filled with pride. But fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And if you do, it says in verse 8, it will be healing to your body. That's a promise, guys. And refreshment to your bones. So, in verse 9, it says, honor the Lord from your, whoa, wealth, and from the first of all you produce. Yeah, bear with me. I'm going back to money for a second. Put your trust in the Lord. We start by leaning on him, not trusting in our own understanding with what's best. We acknowledge him in everything that we do and trust him to lead us straight. We turn away from evil. And believe that as we do so, he brings healing to our body. And the last thing it says there is that we honor the Lord in verse 9. The word honor can be translated adore. It can be translated praise. It can be translated worship. Worship the Lord with your wealth and the first of all that you produce. Worship God with what you have. And this is one of the ways that we worship the Lord, but it's a very important way that we worship him. The wise men were overjoyed, and thus they opened up their treasures to the king of kings and the lord of lords, and they gave to him. Um, back, uh, back in um, Proverbs chapter 3, down in verse 9, it says, um, I've got that written down wrong, I'm not sure. Yeah, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first part of everything you produce, and then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with new wine. Some versions say, honor Lord your wealth and the first fruits of all that you produce. And some people say, well, what are, what are first fruits? Well, first fruits are what's referred to in, in the book of Malachi. Uh, Jesus refers to it in Matthew 23. It's talked about in Hebrews. It is known as the tithe. And that, that it's a Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew word masar, and it simply means a tenth. Malachi says we worship God with a tenth of what he entrusts to us. We bring him the first portion as an act of worship. And Malachi says as we do that, God opens up the windows of heaven and pours out more blessing than we have room enough to receive. 
We worship the Lord with the first tenth of what he gives us. Now, to the world today, like, like much of the kingdom of God, that sounds like foolishness. I can't afford to give God a tenth of, you know, what, what I've got. Sounds crazy. But remember what Solomon said. He said, trust in the Lord. Trust, your, trust in the Lord of all your heart. Don't lean on what you think or what you've tried to figure out in your own head. He says, this is the wise guy, the thinker that's saying this. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all that you produce. When you bring your very first, when you bring your very best to God first, you know what he does? He's not looking at what you're giving him. He looks at the rest of what you have and he blesses it. That's why you can do so much more with 90% that's blessed blessed by God than 100% that is not. It goes far further. And that's when we worship God. We worship God this way as an act of worship. And it does something in us that's supernatural. It allows him to bring blessing into our lives. When we're obedient and we give to him out of love. Bring him honor. I wanted to give an example of that real quick. And I don't think I've told this story in a while. We've we, we got quite a bit of people here that have heard mine and Shauna's break story. And, and probably a bunch that haven't. How many of you heard our break story? I'm going to tell it again. It's been quite a few years. Guys, Sean and I are very thankful that we were both raised to be givers. From the time we were kids, we were raised to give to the Lord. And, and not just of our money. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know exactly how things worked with Shauna, but I know that as me and my brother were growing up, by the time we were in sixth, seventh grade, our parents expected us to serve in some capacity in the church because that, that's part of what you do. That's part of your service to the Lord. And so we were raised to be givers, to give of ourselves, to give of our money, to, to be givers. And so Shauna and I always were. We got married and that carried on and we passed that on to our children. They're bigger givers than we've ever been. But that doesn't mean that things were always easy all the time. Matter of fact, I've, I've told some of you, we, Sean and I took our first job working together, both working, and between the two of us making $19,000, between the two of us. Now, yes, that was 1996, but I still won a lot of money in 1996, right? $19,000. And here's the thing, guys. And look, I'm... Y'all know me well enough to know that I'm not boasting here. I'm, I'm, I have no problem self-depreciating and, and, and admitting my flaws and things. And we have gotten a lot of things wrong in life. This is an area I felt like we've done well. We learned early to be givers. And we have always given faithfully. And so as things time was going, I remember shortly after we moved to Olive Branch from Memphis. I don't know how many years ago that was now. A lot. Um, we... Uh, some of you remember we had, we had two cars. Both at the time, both had been given to us. We couldn't afford to buy a car. And um, Shauna was driving. Some of y'all may remember the, the gold, uh, tannish gold Honda Odyssey that she drove for, for a lot of years. And we got it. It was given to us when it was a couple of years old. And so, um, so anyway, the time came. How many of you know with cars you have to do basic maintenance? Things happen. And so um, a couple of years later, is making some horrific sounds. I was going, you know, I'm not a car guy, but I'm going, that's the brakes. And so we took it up here on, on, on hacks to Gateway Tire, and we had them look at our brakes. Brother's like, you need a brake job. Everything needs to be replaced. Can you turn the rotor? No, everything got to be replaced. They are tore up. 
And uh, he gives me the quote, and we were like, we can't do it. We don't have the money to fix the brakes on the car. And so we waited. All the while, giving money that could have gone into our brakes, giving it to the Lord. Guys, I guarantee you, the Lord is watching, seeing if we would be faithful. We continued to give, and we continued to give. And literally, if I remember correctly, that was sometime in the fall. I think it was around Thanksgiving time or or Christmas. It was somewhere in there. Because a few months later, I was like, we're going to get an income tax return. We get the brakes fixed. We don't have to be embarrassed pulling in and out of places like, you know, all the sounds it's making and stuff. So I take it back up to Gateway. We got the income tax return back. I take it up to Gateway right here on Hacks. Pull it in there. We had our other car, and we dropped off there. And we, in our other car, we took off, and we went over to Walmart, of all places, do some shopping. We're over there at Walmart, and, I mean, literally, we had just gotten there. We were over in kind of, kind of by the automotive area. I'm not sure what we are doing over there. I just remember that moment being on the phone with the guy. He calls. I was like, oh, it's Gateway. I answered. And he says, Mr. Thomas, what, what exactly did you bring your car in for again? I said, we need the brake job done. We, you know, we, we need everything replaced. You told me months ago, three, four months ago, that we, we needed to get this brake job. And he just, like, silenced for a minute. He goes, was it like a certain tire? I said, no, full brake job, all four tires. It's, it's awful. And he said, he, he was just quiet. And he finally, he goes, you know, that's just, you know new brake pads make noise, right? You know you have to break them in. And I said, and I need some new brake pads. And he goes, you have new brake pads on your car. And I, 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 I said, what? He said, I'm not sure what you want us to do. Are you wanting us to make an adjustment? I said, I need new everything. He goes, everything is new. He said, you just got a brake job. I was like, I pulled it in screeching into the parking lot. What are you talking about? He said, everything on here is brand new. Brand new parts. He said, your brake pads are going to make noise because it looks like they got put on like yesterday. I'm like, we're, we're just stunned on the phone, sitting in silence like, what? I said, sir, we haven't had a brake job. He goes, you've had a brake job. I said, what brand is it? I actually asked him that. What brand? He goes, it's not ours. He goes, actually, it looks like it's factory. I was like, he goes, like, it went to the Honda dealership. And I was like, I said, we didn't get a brake job. He goes, yes, you did. (laughs) He said, one way or the other, you got a brake job. He said, I said, we didn't take it anywhere and get it done. He said, somebody came to your house. I said, said, somebody came to our house in the middle of the night and did a brake job. We never replaced the brakes on that car. She drove it for years to come, and we sold it to somebody. And Aaron cried. I miss that car. Welcome our son back as well. (laughs) Some of you don't know, he's been in Africa for the last three months, our our missionary child. Facebook is back. Welcome back, Facebook. Guys. Oh, we got to move. Look, I'm not saying that if you tithe, the Lord's going to come and fix your broke car in the driveway. Right? I'm not promising that, okay? What I am saying is that God will prove himself faithful on your behalf. 
I had a friend that told me, a good friend of mine that said, man, I just have a hard time believing that God does break jobs. I, I just, I believe somebody came to your house and did it. And I said, and I still give God the glory for that. If God sends somebody to a break job in my house in the middle of the night, completely silent, leaving no trace of it, well, awesome. Praise God. Right? It's like, whatever. Whatever. God always proves himself faithful. He said, test me in this and see if I don't prove myself to you. Guys, look. Get away from money again for a second. I believe our Sunday morning gathering is an offering to God. Our gathering together, community groups, and the time that we're together, it's an offering of worship to the Lord. What are you giving? Your time? I don't know about you, but time is valuable to me. Those of you who serve within the church, we are so thankful for you. You are giving an offering to God in your service. Those, I was thinking about those on the worship team, those worship team who are entrusted with musical gifts, and, 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 they, and they give those to the Lord, even, even during a practice time throughout the week. Guys, they're not getting paid. We ain't Bellevue Baptist. God bless them. Love them. I know some can pay their work. We don't pay our worship team. They're giving a free will gift offering, a sacrifice of praise before the Lord. I'm overjoyed to be a giver. I'm overjoyed to be generous. I'm overjoyed to give offerings. It can, woo, it can mess me up. I'm going to tell you guys something that, actually, I didn't even tell Sean I was going to say this. I hope it's okay. I was going to mention January. We held on to this and didn't know if we would say it for a long time. Uh, it's something we've kind of kept quiet because, again, I think you guys know the last thing I ever want is to be accused of boasting. But I'm not boasting when I say I'm a giver. I pray that you can say the same thing about your life. Back in January, Sean and I knew the Lord was moving our hearts to give, to give a gift. And I've told you guys before that we, um, we just always say yes. If Shauna comes to me and says, I feel like the Lord's impressed on my heart. We're supposed to give to this person or to give to this or whatever it may be. I've kind of vowed within myself that I will never say no if that's what she feels like the Lord is leading upon her heart. And that's huge. That's a big step. And there's been times that's been my skin crawl a little bit. She's like, I feel like I'm supposed to give this. It's like, ooh, that's like everything in savings. That's our only cushion. You know, it's like, oh, give it. And the Lord's always proven himself faithful. In January, we knew we were supposed to give. And we waited till the very last second, unfortunately, like we do sometimes. <laughs> and we hadn't talked it through real well or anything like that. And she said, what do you think we should give? And I, I wrote down a little piece of paper next to her. I wrote down an amount, which was a good amount. Good amount. But I know to start low because... <laughs> <laughs> Guys, she came back and she wrote 10 times the amount. We had been saving in savings. Sean had been driving a Honda Odyssey for years, and, and kids are grown. She's like, I want out of the minivan. I'm believing for a new car. I want a new car, a, a new to her car. We, we've never bought a new car, buy a used car. And so we had been for a couple of years. We had all this money saving up in savings to buy her a car. And I looked at her, and I said, you know that's your car. She said, and we did it. Mm. Let me tell you, that's a, it, was, it was something. The thing about this is, um, 
within two to three months. Like I say, you know, y'all know I've got a business and different things. And from unexpected sources, everything was back in two to three months. And this year, I, I'm, I'm not giving amounts or anything, but our giving, I believe this year, will be double what it's ever been in a year this year. And I'm excited at what God's going to do. We have never once said, I don't want to tithe this month. I don't want to give this month. It's never come out of our mouths. I want to worship God through giving. Because he has blessed me and been so good to me. And we give above and beyond tithe because God is so good. We love to give of our time. We love to give of our talents because love loves to give. You look at what you do with your time and your money, it's an indicator of what's in your heart every time. We honor God with our wealth, but the ultimate thing we've got to recognize is that it goes way beyond that. We give our life to him. And that's what Paul said. I'm, I'm wrapping up. Hang with me just another minute or two. The Apostle Paul, and remember who Paul was. Now, you may be here, you may be watching online, and you're like, you know what, I'm not even sure if I like Christians. Paul didn't, you would have liked them a lot. He didn't like Christians. As a matter of fact, he tried to kill them all. He's like, but his life was transformed. And the guy who beat and tortured, imprisoned, and killed Christians was so transformed by God that he wrote Romans 12.1. And he said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and your proper worship to God. When you look at it, he says, I urge you, in light of everything that God has done for you and me, I urge you. I urge you. And actually, when it says... He says to offer your life. It, it says not just your, your wealth, but offer your body. It, it's actually, when you look at it, it's referring to every part of your life. We give it as an offering to him. Holy, a holy offering. Holy and pleasing to God. And then it says that is your true and proper worship. You want to give God the worship that he deserves? You want to give him true and proper worship? You make your life the sacrifice to him. You give your whole life to him. Everything you do, you offer it to him generously as a worship. It's trusting in the Lord with all your heart, like Solomon said, and not leaning on your own understanding. It doesn't make sense to your natural mind, but you say, in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him. And I'm going to trust that he's going to make my path straight as I do that. I'll honor him with my first and my best and allow him to bless the rest. It's about living this life with open hands. I had a, knew a guy back in the day. My dad, I remember Jim Stern back in the day. He had him into the church years ago. And he had a song called Empty Hands. I'm giving you empty hands. Because it's all I have to worship. Not holding on too tightly to anything that you've been given or strive for or work for. Guys, if there is anything in your life that you couldn't give up in a moment or give away or part with if God told you to, 
then you need to go back and examine your heart again. Because the question is, do we trust him? Right? <sighs> you girl. Got an announcement to make in uh, this morning. Uh, a few of you, uh, a few of you know about this, but not many. We've kept this down low for a couple of months now. Because, guys, I don't know about you, but I love being a giver, and I love being a part of a giving church. And we're about to give again as a church family. So, um, trying to figure out how to hit this quickly. Um, uh, through a mutual friend, we have met uh, a couple. Uh, this, this man is a woman named um, Chris and Nicola. And they have been missionaries to Brazil for the last 20 years. Lovely couple. Sean and I were on a Zoom call with them last week, chatting for a bit. And they, um, they have moved back. Uh, Nicola is from Germany. And they have, in the last, is it last year and a half, I think, moved back to Germany because the Lord has led them into a new season in their life to plant a church. And so they're planning the church, and they started, they, boots on the ground, they got started immediately, and they've started community groups. Because they don't have a place to meet, and they don't have a church building, so they've started community groups. And uh, in, in about a year and a half, they've got together about 50 people consistently that are coming and a part of this. Which is really exciting, too, because um, it's a very diverse area. It's an English-speaking area in Stuttgart, Germany. And, um, and, and the cool thing is, it's only, th that area is only 2% evangelical Christian. So huge, huge harvest ready, I mean, there. And so they're trying to get this church going, and they're still missionaries. They're still being supported by their churches and different things to get this going because the church doesn't have, you know, income. So they're not taking any, anything from the church. And the church now has a sound system, and they now have, like, a projector and, and different things they need. They've got a couple of open doors for, for, uh, to have a building, and they, it's about to happen. They're about to start meeting for Sunday services. You know what they don't have? A worship leader. You know who feels led to go? Not me. Lauren feels like it's her next move and what the Lord's leading her to do, to go help plant a church in Germany. You don't look at me, Shauna. Dad, damn it. Um, a few pictures. Go ahead and scroll those real quick. Um, uh, Chris, there's the pastor Chris and Nicola and their two kids. And they sent that to us a couple of days ago of, of just their gatherings. Like I say, it's a very diverse area. Awesome work that they're, that they're getting started there. And uh, guys, this will happen pretty quickly. Uh, we're actually looking at right around the first weekend in October. And so we have a few other things in the works. Guys, again, we're giving, as the church family, we are planting our worship leader here, at least for a season. Uh, she's committed to three months uh, as a start to go help them um, get a foot in the ground and get things going here. We are planting her as a church family, and I'm not concerned. The Lord's got us taken care of, and uh, we've, we've got a couple things that we're working on behind the scenes and different things, and obviously you'll hear more about that coming up here real soon, but uh, it's a good day. One of, the, one of them kind of happy, sad things, right? And so, uh, so you'll hear much more about this moving forward in the coming weeks because it is coming so quickly. But guys, we love to give. And it's not always about money. 
By the way, with that said, Lauren has been added to the missions list on the giving page. <laughs> Along with our missionaries we support. And uh, she has not started raising, but she is, again, she's going to have to uh, raise a little bit of funds. They're taking care of room and board and food and some different things like that. She has to get over there and a, and a couple of things. But uh, so, uh, so obviously that's something that um, she will be reaching out to some of you on. She would love for you to, to uh, help support her in this journey as she moves forward and sees what the Lord does through it. But we love to give. Guys, Paul and the early church, they were overjoyed to worship God generously. They were overjoyed. Why? Because they had a Savior named Jesus. Everything changed. And, and, and God loved first. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so they traveled, the early church, they traveled far and wide, living a life of uplifted hands, of bowed hearts, a life of generosity, making their lives a living sacrifice, a worship to the one who sacrificed everything for us. You guys see it? You follow me? I encourage you today to examine your heart. Are you a generous worshiper of God? What's in your heart is displayed, is shown, is proven through your generosity. Giving your life away is a living sacrifice for a Savior who gave everything for us. As I conclude, let's, let's stand up together. You know what? Let's stay seated. You know what? Back up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I want us to stay seated for a moment. I think this is a moment to stay seated before the Lord. I think that's, I think that's better. Y'all just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I just ask that you would do a work in our hearts this morning, Lord. That giving would not be something that we do. A worshiper with a heart of generosity would be who we truly are. Lord, foster a heart of generosity within us. Guys, look at me for just a minute. Um, I, I did hold off on the offering till the end for a reason because that's one of many aspects of giving where I want you to examine your heart for a minute this morning I'm going to encourage all of you to make a decision to come to a place of change today and I'll give you several areas you can do so you know firstly you may have be one that's you've never given tithes or offerings to God before. God tells us to bring into his storehouse our first and our best. So maybe that's a step that you feel convicted inside. I, guys, I love, I love Brian's testimony from a few weeks ago talking about the Lord impressing upon his heart to begin to give. And as he did so, the breakthrough he saw just within days and in the coming weeks. Maybe you know, just like him, you, you feel that nudging inside that it's, it's, it's time to begin to give. 
And it does say the storehouse, and in and, and, and the Bible, the, the storehouse is that, it's that place where, where you receive and you grow in God. And so today, that would, be, that would be the church. That would be the local church. I encourage you, maybe you don't feel like you can give a full tithe today, but I encourage you to give something if you never have before. All you may have is the change in your pocket. Maybe you're holding a few dollars in your pocket for a Starbucks in the morning, and the Lord's going, you know what? Give me that $5 bill. Give up your Starbucks for one day. Trust me with it. I just encourage you to be obedient in that. Oh, we got our giving link on the, on the screen. If you do, if you're going to give, you can give via those links. When you leave, we have boxes on the back wall next to the doors, and you can do that as you go. Maybe you tithe, but the Lord's impressed upon your heart to give above and beyond and, and to just give an offering to the Lord. Guys, we give, Sean and I give offerings to the Lord. We, we, we just purpose each year, we purpose to give more and more to the Lord. We, 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 we lost the 10% in our rearview mirror 20 years ago because we recognize that's where true blessing comes. We don't hold on too tightly to anything and we just say, yes, Lord, and we're just generous and generous and generous. Maybe you give your tithes and offerings. Maybe that's something you've gotten the revelation on. I want you to pray about doing something else this week. When Sean and I were students at Christ for the Nations, there was, there was an old guy I loved. It. He's actually still alive. He's, okay, I thought he was old 30 years ago when I was a young guy. He's 95 today. Um, but his name was Wayne Myers. It was always a big deal. Wayne Myers, this guy. He always had the biggest smile on his face. And everybody always imitated Wayne Myers. He'd, kind of, he'd hear good news and he'd go, my, 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 my. And, and he was just as genuine as can be. But one of those guys, you're like, he's so happy. You're going, is he for real? But he was a giver. And every time he would come to the school and speak, he'd speak for the week and they called it Wayne Myers week. And it was a big deal because every time he would, his challenge for the week was, I want you to give something away this week. I want you to give something that's kind of hard. We're not talking about the $5, $5 in your pocket anymore. I, I, maybe it is for you. But he would say, give something that's hard to part with and give it to someone. Bless somebody. And that's what the, the, that would be the goal of the week for the student body at Christ for the Nations. And everybody would get blessed with something. Everybody was giving. And at the end of the week, he would line everybody up and say, everybody's got a testimony what God did in your life this week after you gave. I want you to line up. And the line would go down this huge auditorium that sat like 1,200 people. And it would go on and on and on. I want you to give this week. Be generous. I want you to take this for just the next couple of moments. I want you to say, Lord, what would you have me do? I want to foster a heart of generosity. I don't want to hold on too tightly to anything that you've given me. What would you have me do? And the Lord will place something on your heart. Maybe it's somebody you know that's struggling. And the Lord's going to say, I want you to write him a check. I want you to give them out of that fund that you've had set aside for a rainy day. Or maybe it's something, maybe it's a family heirloom. Or maybe it's a gift that you're giving to the Lord, even through the church. I want you to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me do this week? Some of you need to take somebody else to lunch after church today. Well, I can't afford to go out to eat. Take them home and make them a hand sandwich. Give what you've got. Be generous. Give of your time and what God has given you. 
bless somebody. Maybe it's your time. Practice generosity. Well, I got to pray about that, brother. You don't have to pray about being generous. You don't have to pray about it. Even if you miss God and the Holy Spirit didn't directly tell you to do that, He's going to bless you for being generous. It's a win win. Bless somebody. You're a worshiper. Worshippers live a life of generosity. It goes counterculture today. We live in a culture that says, hang on to everything you got, right? No, let go of everything you got. We're not of this world. We can't take any of it with us anyway, right? Let's stand up together now. And I want you to pray. Guys, again, if you, I, I do encourage, I actually every week we remind everybody about giving. If uh, part of the Harvest family, please give your tithes and your offerings today. We're going to sing this chorus a couple times. And I want you to say right now, Holy Spirit, as a worshiper, what are you speaking to me? Just close your eyes. Close your eyes for a moment. Some of you need to lift up your hands as a sign of surrender. Maybe you're holding on too tightly to things. And the Lord's saying, just raise up your hands. Some of you are going to see a breakthrough through being obedient in this. Maybe it's just taking somebody out to lunch and giving of your time. The Lord's going to bless you. He's going to prove himself faithful in your life. Just lift your hand and say, Lord, I surrender. I declare that I am a generous worshiper of you, Lord. And just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. What do you have for me today? Holy Spirit, how are you challenging me? Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do? And as he reveals that to you, be quick to say yes, Lord. Let's sing together. You are my joy, you are my joy. Yes, you are. You are my joy, you are my joy. You are my joy, you are my joy. You are my joy. Shout out your praise. 
worshiping this infant child who would one day give his life for them. So what did they do? They bowed before him. They laid down their life on the ground before him. They opened up their treasures and they gave him the very best of what they had. And they said, you alone are worthy. Guys, if you want to be a more generous worshiper of God, if that's you, just lift your hands for just a moment. You'd say, I want to be a more generous worshiper of God. Or you may say, you know, I understand the tithe and, and I've, I've given and, and different things like that. But I, 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 want to, I, I want to not be so callous in my heart toward others. And I want to, again, to give above and beyond that. I want to bless others, Lord, of what you've given to me. If that's you and you want to be more generous, just lift up your hands and say, yes, Lord. Just tell them, Lord, I'll give you my best. I'll give you the first, and I'll trust you to bless the rest on my behalf in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that even as we stand here now, even with hands lifted high, I thank you, Lord, that you are changing hearts in this place. And I thank you, Lord, that as we give, it's done out of a heart of worship. And today, Lord, we're making decisions to be generous worshipers, living from a place of overflow, overjoyed to be a blessing. Lord, I pray for each and every one that they would see your faithfulness and your goodness in ways that they've never seen it before, in ways they can't begin to imagine. Lord, reveal your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to give back, allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in the earth, allowing us to be a part of the catalyst and the change. Guys, real quick, I forgot. If you're here, hands down, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus today and you would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, anybody in this place, lift your hand and just tell me, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to rededicate my life. Anybody here? Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're at Rolling Hills, wherever you may be this morning. Mr. Michael at Rolling Hills would love to pray for you. If that's you, if you would like to rededicate your heart to the Lord today, we're going to pray together, but then he would love to pray with you as well. You may be watching online. It may be today. It may be a year from now, but the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart right now, and he just wants you to say yes to Jesus. And it's a life change, guys. It's, it's recognizing that sin that separated us from God. Jesus paid the price for it, but we've got to repent, and we've got to lay it down and turn from it. And so it's that repentance, turning away from our old ways, choosing to lay down our life for him and to make our life that living sacrifice we've been talking about this morning, offering it freely to him. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer and I invite you to pray along with me or, or, or you can pray your own prayer. It's, about, it's between you and him. But it's got to be from your heart. It's got to be genuine. And you're, you're telling him this from this day forward. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Because without him, I'm lost and alone. I'm utterly bankrupt. And so today, I give up. Today, I surrender. And I lay my life down before you, Lord, as a worship. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I choose to turn from my sin. And I choose to follow Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. 
And I believe that you willingly came and you paid the price for my sin. And so today I call you Lord. I thank you that you rose from the grave because I'm going to follow you all the days of my life and I'm not looking back. And just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I'll follow you to the end in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.